Well, it's good to be with you at SunWest. This is awesome. I've never ever had the chance to preach in a theater before. Uh, and you know, there's something that is really subtly distracting in a theater. In a theater, you're not supposed to interact. You're supposed to sit there, be quiet, and look one way past the back of somebody else's head. And that doesn't create community. Right? So there's something awesome about being here because we're in a place where we get to break cultural norms. Isn't that awesome? We're going to break cultural norms today. Uh, yes, I was trained actually at University of Lethbridge and for 15 years taught their sociology of youth course. Uh, my mentor was Dr. Reginald Bibby. Some of you remember Reg, I'm sure, for his Project Teen Canada uh, surveys uh, over the last 25, 30 years, and then also adult surveys that he's done. He's Canada's probably premier teen trend tracker. And then beyond that uh, is one of Canada's most prominent sociologists in the area of religion. And uh, now, uh, if you want to get a little more of what I'm sharing, I'm going to be doing a one-week course in May at Ambrose University. So much of what I'm going to unpack, I'm simply going to give very little snippets about. But if you want to know more, uh, check out Ambrose Sociology of Youth. The title of today's message is From Hemorrhaging Faith to Healthy Church. I can't tell you how impacting it was at University of Lethbridge during a summer class when Vanessa all of a sudden sends me an email like I've never received before. And she said, Professor, this is probably unlike any email you have ever, ever received before. And her next words were, I am all alone. I am all alone. I right away texted her back and said, hey, let's meet at Esquire's, which was right across the university, from the university at a coffee shop. And as we chatted, I realized her tension as she was about to get engaged, or she was engaged, was about to get married, and she had no work in her field. He had no work in his field. The average 30-year-old today has had 11 jobs. And according to Generation Jobless, this CBC documentary, 10 years from now, the average 30-year-old will have two to 300 part-time contracts and not full-time employment. Friends, we're living in an entirely different age. The 21st century is unleashing forces that the church needs to take seriously because without it, young people feel so much pressure to get a life that they only come to church if it really meets their needs. And so we're going to talk today about what really meets the needs of a younger generation. But guess what? We live in the same kind of environment as our young people do, and we 
also feel that way. If church does not really meet my needs, this world is so hard, so difficult, I don't know if I can be here. I recently chatted with a single mom, and she said this. I have three kids. I have a very busy schedule. I've just dropped out of church after being a lifelong churchgoer. It is so good in this hectic culture to have one day that I don't have anything I have to be at. That's our world. And how in that kind of world do we do church in a way that truly meets the needs of every single person who decides to walk in the doors? We just saying, Jesus, you make all things new. Do we believe Jesus makes all things new? No. Right on. He does. He does. And so there is great hope for us as we unfold this little journey over this next half hour. There are five generations potentially in this room. If you are 73 years or older, I want you to stand up. Do we have any 73 year? We do! Whoa! Now, these are some hip seniors. There's lots of non-theater churches they could go to. They've broken their own cultural norms to be here. Let's give them a hand. Woo! In fact, think about it. They're called the builder generation. This is the generation that went through the Great Depression and the First World War. And they said, I am going to make a better life for my children, no matter what the sacrifice it is that I have to pay. And did they ever deliver? Let's give them another round of applause. Now, if you are 53 to 72, I want you to stand up. Because guess what? Everybody, right after the Second World War, those builders decided this is post-war optimism. There's nothing better to do than hang out with dad who came back from war and let's make babies. And these are the babies that they made. Let's give them a round of applause. Okay. Civil rights movement, JFK, and that famous goal in 1972 by Paul Henderson. Right. Everybody knows where they were if they were a boomer in that time. The baby boom. Okay. What happened next? Well, guess what? All of a sudden the boom stopped and we had Generation X. Generation X, if you're age 36 to 52, uh, please stand. And if Mayor Nenshi is in the crowd, he is standing at this moment. All right. Generation X is amazing leaders. Let's give them a hand right now, okay? The world starts changing for this generation. We have words like latchkey kid. Mom has gone to the workforce. The child comes home after school. The very first time children came home to the, after school and opened the door and no one was there to greet them. Also, a new word came into the vocabulary, McJobs. We had something called downsizing, where just because you worked your entire life 
for this particular factory doesn't mean you get a pension after all. And this generation now is the leaders of many of the things that are happening, okay? Including people like Rachel Notley and Justin Trudeau who fit this category. Or Michelle Rempel, who some of you perhaps know. Anyway, this generation is leading right now in our country. Let's give them a hand. Now, if you're age 18 to 35, I want you to stand up. These are the millennials, okay? Let's give them a hand. Why in the world is a generation called the millennials? Well, it's because they, they turned, came of age, be turned into adults at the, at the turn of the millennial. In fact, many people feel that this generation is entitled, but... Here's something you need to know about this generation. Their top values are relational. Here they are. Friendship, freedom, trust, honesty, being loved, humor. How can you go wrong with words like that? Let's give them another applause. And then lastly, anyone age 0 to 17, I want you to stand. Yes. And by the way, if you're in junior high and you had to come endure this sermon, you have veto power. You can go home today and tell mom and dad everything that I said that was not true because you're the expert on this subject more than I am. Okay, would you do that for me? Please go home and educate your parents and find out, help us understand what the world is really like. But thank you. Let's give them a hand. And by the way, sociologists... We're always behind the picture, so guess what? Just now, you're going to start seeing Generation Z documentaries and surveys and stats and books all about this generation. What can I say about this generation? This is a generation that is going to experience automation and robot technology in ways that are going to displace workers like we've never seen before. I recently read a report that said by 1937, in 20 years, 47% of US jobs are going to disappear. So if you're a truck driver, if you're an accountant, if you're a newscaster, or you're in middle management, even if you're a doctor, you might be impacted by technology and robots who take over your job. Okay? We're living in a whole new time. And I cannot think of a better time to be a follower of Jesus. I really can't. This is very exciting times. And guess what? We get to be ready for this new world. It doesn't surprise Jesus. It doesn't surprise the Father. It doesn't surprise the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He is living inside of you and will teach you as you are open to him how to respond in a way that is vibrant, connecting, energizing, a way to live in this time with your head held high 
focused entirely on love and not fear. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay. So let's look at a staggering 21st century reality. Zygmunt Bauman is probably one of the world's premier sociologists. He just turned 90. And this is what he says. In the liquid modern society of consumers, no identity or gifts at birth, none is given. Identity, get this, identity is a sentence to lifelong hard labor. What does he mean? What does he mean? Every one of those junior highs who are sitting in here are living in a world where they are being asked to turn themselves into a commodity which they market themselves. And in our parenting wor workshop, a parent had a staggering observation. She said, guess what? We're the ones who turn our children into commodities. We're the ones that make sure that they are in the right band practices. They are right in the, in the right creative writing or speaking classes. We're the ones that are pushing them to make sure that they are on the football team. We're the ones who are pushing our kids because we know the world out there, and as a result, it scares us, and as a result, we are pushing our own kids to be a commodity. And here's what Zygmunt Bauman says. He says, in liquid modernity, all agreements are temporary, fleeting, and valid only until further notice, right? So much for first past the post elections in Canada, right? We all are in a world where as a result, we are finding it more and more difficult to make it. A CBC documentary this week had Chris in a, in a documentary called Degrees of Disappointment. A 21-year-old mechanical engineer who's living in his parents' basement in British Columbia, and he said, I turned myself into a commodity. I thought someone would want me, but here I am walking the dog, no work, and I'm applying for a deli position at Sobeys. Friends, we need to understand the pressure this is putting on the younger generation and the pressure it is putting on us. There's a new book called The Happiness Effect, how social, medi social media is driving a generation to appear perfect at any cost. Everyone's tiny, little, pretty, shiny cell phone has come to represent a thousand pounds of stress. As young people craft their own images, keep tabs on their peers, and create their own identities. Donna Freitas from University of North Carolina, a researcher says this, the burden we carry around because of our phones would be lifted if they would only disappear off the face of the earth. These tiny, light, pretty, shiny devices have come to represent an outweighted, outsized weight upon our shoulders. 
We look at them and see our to-do lists, our responsibilities, other people's needs, our perpetual inability to keep up, the way in which others constantly judge us, everyone's successes amid all of our failures, among so many stresses, stresses that feel more like a thousand pounds than a few ounces. Yes, those cell phones are tremendously important because yes, that is how I stay connected with my friends. That is how I document my memories, what's so important to me. And yet, can you see how in a liquid modern society, identity has turned into hard labor? Because everyone is feeling this pressure to turn themselves in a brand because I want to stand out, not the person next to me. Because I need the job, not the person next to me. So I need the marks, not the person next to me. I need the beautiful status on Facebook, not the person next to me. And I cannot afford to let my guard down. Because if I let my guard down, all of a sudden publicly forever recorded is the fact that I had a bad day. But next to someone else's created image, I then can never catch up. Do you feel the pressure that we're under? That is the world, my friends, that we're growing up in. Why does this matter? There's a festival called the Burning Man Festival in Nevada. And this sculpture called Love by Ukrainian Alexander Milov received a fascinating stir. The reason is we all can identify. What Zygmunt Bauman says is imagine a world in which every single person is fast fenced off from every single other person, but yet within your own fence, you can still shop. Isn't that the cell phone? And yet here we are with our little self, that small me, that small you, even as we're faced, turned away from each other, the small inside you and me are reaching through the cages because we want to touch. There's nothing we want more than human connection. So why does it matter? It matters because we're wounded. Our world has left each one of us with wounds, relational wounds. And we just sang, nothing holding me back from relationship with the Father. Jesus says, I'm here to give you connection. And connection is what millennials crave. We did a project which has been known as the Hemorrhaging Faith Research Project, available at hemorrhagingfaith.com. We had 72 interviews, 1,000 pages of typing, on young adults and their relationship to church. And one single quote jumped out at me. I want you to hear what Leah says about what her generation most craves from churches. When I get back in my car after church, I'm on fire. Not necessarily because of the messages, even though they are great, 
But, but, remember, but changes everything. You know when you go with your friend and you're about to, you said, I wanted to pay for that meal, but I forgot my wallet. It changes everything. (laughs) The but changes everything. And what is Leah's but? But because of seeing other people who love others, love sinners as though they were their their own family members. And what I retain from this is a massive fire that reaffirms my faith. I exit church utterly encouraged in my faith. Wow. Wow. Here is a key hemorrhaging faith finding. Young adult engagers... Okay, we did what's called a cluster analysis. And it said you have four types of young adults answering answering your survey. Engagers, fence-sitters, wanderers, rejectors. Okay? Engagers are the ones that love God, love church. Okay? Then you have fence-sitters with love God uh, about church. They're sitting on the fence. Okay? Then you have wanderers. Wanderers are the ones that have started to wander away. And then you have a group that are literally allergic to church. Something has so hurt them, they don't think churches should exist. Okay? Now, if you want to know what it is that separates engagers from the other three categories, the variable with the biggest statistical difference is this. Engagers say, I experience emotional healing from my church. Wanderers say, I don't. Fence-sitters say, I don't. Rejectors say, I don't. Emotional healing in the church. Why might that be? What is important to young adults is that they can be human. What is important to them is that they find healing from their woundedness. There is many ways that human woundedness lives inside of us and acts out, expresses itself. Okay? It might be an empty ache in the gut. It might be a panic attack or a burst of rage or not being able to speak up in a difficult situation. A paralyzed state of helpless abandonment to avoid being open to another person or from a tight and disconnected heart or a busy, racing, intensely anxious mind. All of these forms of pain are starting points from which people become conscious that they need a form of healing. And they come to our churches, and if that deep ache gets touched, they stay. They're not very polite, not like Xers, Boomers, and Builders. Xers, Boomers, and Builders will stay at a crappy church. Millennials will not. Okay? It's that simple. Their life is too complicated. They will not put up with a church that does not meet their needs. And I think that's how God wants it to be. 
which puts the onus on all of us to connect deeply with Jesus. Here is a glorious, self-emptying, canonic dream for SunWest Church. Let's ask the question, how did Jesus heal? He emptied himself. He went out of his way to go to Samaria to meet a woman who was not considered very important in that community. And what did he do? He simply started a conversation and offered connection. He lived among the people. Though he was God, he did not cling to his status as God. And he brought people to places of vulnerability. Here's what I find so fascinating about that story. He said, guess what? I can offer you living water so that you will never thirst again. She said, oh, I want that water. Do you know what his very next statement was? Go get your husband. He took that woman to the exact place of her woundedness. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five. And the person you're now living with is not your husband. Boy, inside, as she walked up to that well, she wasn't thinking about the water. She was thinking about those aching, broken relationships. And Jesus knew that he could not get through to this woman unless he touched that deep wound. And he touched it so beautifully that she went from that encounter and turned into this amazing woman who was a witness to Jesus an entire town was transformed. That's how powerful that encounter was. You see, in order for us to be the kind of church that will meet the needs of every generation, we need to be the kind of church that is vulnerable and confesses those broken parts within ourselves. I ran across one of the craziest verses I've ever seen in the Old Testament. It's in Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, says God, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The next statement that I'm going to make is not to produce an ounce of shame or guilt in any of you. If you feel guilty out of this, it's because you're being invited into something really, really beautiful. One of those broken cisterns is pornography. Right? But you know what? When you look at brain research on pornography, it's more of a brain issue than a moral issue. People turn to pornography because of woundedness. And they want a relationship so deeply 
that they turn to a broken cistern. And over time, there's a hard wiring where it's so easy to go there whenever you feel that lack. Okay? Same with anxiety. Maybe you have compulsive thoughts that are negative, 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 negative. Okay? It was because of a wound. But what happens is over time, you've created such neural pathways to those particular thoughts that you keep thinking, 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 thinking. And you can't get free. Because every counselor you go to, you reinforce that thinking, thinking, thinking. And it's like on one side, your negative muscle is so big. And you've got the muscle on the other side, but it's just wimpy. And you haven't had a chance to practice it. And so friends, we turn to broken cisterns rather than the source of living water. And here's how it works. Okay? In a branded world, me being a sociologist who works with youth and religion, there's three potential masks that I will put out if identity is hard labor, okay? First of all, I want to put out the mask, good Christian. You wouldn't come listen to me if I didn't have the image of a good Christian. But hey, I'm working with youth culture. So another one that I've got is I've got to be a cool kid. I've got to keep up with all the bands and the music and the movies. And yes, Moonlight won, didn't they? Not La La Land, okay? But right, it's this, I, this need, okay? But then on the other side, it's PhD. I've got to be this person who's academic, okay? That's what you see. Do you want to know what I see? Do you want to know what's on the inside of that mask? Useless. You're a pretty mediocre guy, James, okay? Or dumb. You really don't know what you're talking about. Do you? Or boring, right? Do you get what I'm saying? We all have that inside, those only words that we say to ourselves. And so, in that kind of world, Jesus comes. And in Philippians 2, he says, I want to heal you. Now, I started the text at verse 5, but I'm not reading verse 5. Because verse 5 just screws us up. We're going to come to it after we read verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Because otherwise, it'll turn into a should. And if there's one thing we have to quit doing in church, is we have to quit shoulding on ourselves. <laughs> because this is so good. This is so good. This is what Jesus has done for us. So I'd like you to listen with new eyes to Philippians 2, starting at verse 6. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. No, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He humbled, when he, when he appeared in human form, he humbled, him, him, humbled himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on a cross. 
Therefore God elevated him to the highest place. And gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Because he is so good. And he is so generous and he's there for everybody and he's there for me and in the same way all of God could live in a baby's womb all of God because God can do anything you know can live inside of me of me and guess what if he's living inside of me and he's living inside of you Isn't it a wild, exciting thing that he says, hey, have the same attitude that Jesus had. Wow, if I'm completely full, it's not hard to be generous. And that's what canonic self-emptying means. That's the dream for SunWest. That's the dream for every Bible-believing, Jesus-following church In this country. That's what happens. And as a result. We have something. Called intergenerational partnership. In fact. At the, at the parenting workshop last night. We put up this particular picture. And I said. What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? Chat with a friend. You can chat in church, you know. Chat in a friend with a friend. What's wrong with this picture? I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Tell me what you see is most wrong with this picture. Yep. They're all on the same side of the table. That sure didn't happen. And why is it such a high table? That didn't happen. And is there a female in that picture? Da Vinci Code said there is. <laughs> But why do they have gray hair? Why do teenage disciples and 30-year-old disciples, millennial disciples, have gray hair? Wow, do we give that kind of leadership in our church? Do they know they're being set up for greatness? And we're going to come alongside them. But isn't it fascinating in the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. What is the first thing he does? He says, I want you to give me a cup of water. I want you to meet my need. Wow. A whole new level of partnership. Which brings us to a definition Of self-emptying. Or a definition of kenosis. Which is the Greek word for self-emptying. From our text in Philippians chapter 2. Kenosis is letting go of my personal agenda. And being entirely receptive to God's divine will. Okay. You want to know what God's divine will is for you? We sang it this morning. Jesus you make all things new. Now I get to love you in return. Jesus, you make all things you new. 
Now I get to love you in return. You know that my words that I have on the inside of my mask are the exact words that the devil uses to keep me down so that I don't discover my purpose on earth. Did you see the word useless? God made me very useful. Boring? I hope I'm not boring. Okay? Fearful? I hope I'm fearless. And another word I had was voiceless. And isn't it crazy that God would put me, a Dr. Reg Bibby would come up to me and say, James, for what you're interested in, why don't you come work with me? And I said, you, you, you mean me? This Mennonite boy from northern Alberta who grew up without television? You want to turn him into a youth sociologist? Okay, God, whatever you want. If that's what you want, I'll do it, right? That's how creative and how amazing. I want you to take those exact most negative words that, that cause you to stumble. And I want you to take and I want you to write them down. And I want you to pray through with Jesus, listening prayer, and say, what's the opposite words of these words? Because that is where I guess you want to take me. And then let him do the miracle work. Self-emptying for us is not self-effort. Self-emptying is surrendering to a will that is so amazingly beautiful. We know in our deepest gut it is real because it so fits with who we want to become. And then, instead of just touching each other through the cages, we break out of the cages because Jesus said he's about setting captives free. And we have these amazing relationships with each other. And together we discern what does he want us to do to share this incredibly good message with Calgary. It is so good. And in our culture, it is so needed. Which brings me to a scar story. If you look at my hand right here, you see a pretty nasty scar. And it happened when I was doing my master's and I was just typing the final bit of my thesis. And I met my mentor at a place called Lethbridge Lodge. And after I got into my little red Pontiac Firefly, turned, darn, I left the lights on. Bummer, I can't start, I can't get back to the university, but I know that I have this kind of problem. That's why I have booster cables in the back. Okay, let's see who I need to stop. There's a coming, someone driving by, I said, whoo, could you get in here? But the only problem was I was between two vehicles. So I'm gonna have to push, push my little firefly out before I can booster up the car. Well, right beside me is a one-ton flatbed truck, really close, but I didn't realize. I hop in, I open the door, I stand there, and I'm pulling with the steering wheel with my hand here, and all of a sudden, ah! As we hit the flatbed of the truck, 
and the door acted as a knife and it just sliced my finger right to the bone. So there I am with one hand dripping blood and putting on the booster cables, getting the car, sending the guy on his way, and I got it out the window as I'm driving to the hospital. And I heard these words. James, can you imagine a church that treats its weakest member the way you are treating your finger right now? I heard it as clear as day. <sighs> well, guess what? That finger, it used to be the finger that carried a coffee cup. It didn't have to carry a coffee cup anymore. It used to be typing. I typed the rest of that thesis with one hand. I'd put my briefcase between my legs and open the door. It simply was wounded and could rest. Can you imagine a church like that? You know what? How are we going to pay the bills if we run a church like that? Right? That's so outside the box. Well, you know what? If you look at the Zacchaeus story... The message from Zacchaeus is, as soon as somebody gets jazzed with Jesus, they only need half their money to live on, and the other half goes to the poor. We won't have a budget problem at all. You know, there are, in the, in the New Testament, it said this, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Okay? You know, there are people that have timeshares that they got suckered into when they were in Mexico. And now they have to go to Mexico other, all, every year because it's such a pain and they spend tons of bucks just to get there and use that every year. It's a bit of a burden. Rather than go, let the youth group go. Keep it. Let the youth group go. Or maybe God wants you to sell it. Or that RV or that video game station, or whatever it is. But the message from the early church was, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And there was no need in their midst. Isn't that fascinating? And you know, as I mentioned yesterday at the parenting workshop, according to Eric Erickson, if you're an adult, so if you're an Xer, a boomer, or a builder, if you don't move to generativity rather than stagnation, you come to the end of your life with ego despair rather than ego satisfaction. A generousness is connected to our own well-being. And what would it look like if our ceiling would be the next generation's floor? Wouldn't that be wild? If our ceiling would be the next generation's floor. And I, I, I don't mean this in any kind of a manipulative way. Hang on to your stuff if you want your stuff. 
Hang on to it. It's yours. Well, it's not really yours, but you can pretend it's yours. Okay? It's okay. You can. But what would happen if between now and Easter, we did something really exciting? Okay? If we had a fast from generational indifference, okay? The Pope, Pope Francis actually said, if you want to fast about something, fast against, fast about indifference, okay? Decide that for the next 40 days, you're not going to be indifferent to the needs around you, okay? So, here's what I would love to suggest. What would happen if we would offer other generations spiritual hospitality? Henry Nouwen says that active listening is spiritual hospitality because you take the ideas of a stranger and you welcome them into your own heart. Spiritual hospitality. So what I'm going to propose as we come in for a landing in a culture where identity is hard labor that we turn a theater into a community at a whole new exciting level. And we do it because that's the model that the Apostle Paul left us when he said, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our very own lives. So what would it look like if for the next 40 days, we would each have conversations, spiritual hospitality with a generation that is older or younger than us. So right now, I want those 73-year-olds and up to stand. And if you get a nudge as you see one of them to go for a coffee or to meet them, could you connect with them? Okay, are they standing? Okay. Okay. Can you see one? Okay. Or two or three or ten? Okay. If you're of a different generation and you get nudged, I want you to meet with one of those in the next 40 days. Okay? One of those dear people. Okay? You can st now I want those age 53 to 72 to stand. Okay? Okay? Again, if you're nudged, could you connect with one of those? Okay? And have a connection listening. Thank you so much. Okay? Now I'd love for Generation Z or Generation X, 36 to 52 year olds, to stand. Okay? Okay, look really carefully because this is the biggest group and we want to make sure nobody gets left out. Is there someone there you wouldn't mind going for a coffee with, getting to know? 
Thank you. And now millennials, age 18 to 35, would you stand up, please? Wow. Isn't it awesome? So cool to have you in this church. Okay? Any, any, can you see someone that you want to connect with? You that are sitting? Awesome. And then lastly, Generation Z, 0 to 17, would you stand? Okay? Okay. Uh, by the way, if, if you're seeing these ones, you got to pick up the tab. Okay? <laughs> okay? Right on. Hey, you guys are awesome. Okay? Uh, I just want to give you a hand, and I want to call the band up. We're going we're gonna to sing a closing song about grace. And again, it's this sense that it's all about Jesus. You know, when, when you become a Christian, when I became a Christian, I didn't only accept Jesus as personal Savior. I accepted him as functional Lord. Okay? Which means he gets to call the shots. But there's no more exciting way then if he is the one in this crazy world where identity is hard labor to know that I've got a savior, I've got a friend, and he is setting me up because I have a purpose and was made for a purpose. And he, in community, in this church, at SunWest, together we find out what that purpose is and it doesn't only change us it changes this church it changes calgary and impacts the entire world because jesus prayed my pray that god's kingdom would come on earth exactly like it is in heaven be blessed enjoy this fast of intergenerational indifferent this generational in indifference, a fast from taking others for granted, and let's at Easter celebrate risen Lord, and knowing that no matter where we are on the spectrum, we too are experiencing his rising. He is changing us from the inside out, all because of grace. Amen. Over to the band. And one of the things we had at the end was foot washing. Only if you wanted, you could come up and get your feet washed by one of the young people. And this senior came up, this guy with a baseball cap, and he had actually prayed in the service. And he has a wonderful love. His ripped jeans and his baseball cap. And a senior in the service came up to that particular guy and said, here to ask for your forgiveness. When I saw you walk into this church this morning, I judged you. I thought, what is he, this guy coming in here looking like that? But then when you prayed, I just was so convicted because I saw this deep, deep love that you have for Jesus. And there was the senior and this young guy just totally connecting at a deep, deep level beyond the stereotype as he washed her feet. 
So there's many different ways in which we can connect. And you know what? The stereotypes go both directions, don't they, younger generation? Something that we most need is to sit down with one of those seniors who maybe went through the Second World War or someone who's, who's sacrificed and to hear what their life was like when they were a teenager. And so there's so many ways in which we can have this kind of intergenerational connection at a deep level because it was God's idea for all generations to praise him together. I'm going to put you on the spot, James, and ask you one last question, and then I'll have you pray for us. Um, uh, you, I mean, this is your first time being at the Fish Creek campus, but you're familiar with SunWest, you know, people at SunWest, and you know, we've chatted about our church uh, multiple times. Uh, when you think of the needs in this world and our unique culture, um, our unique society, um, how do you see SunWest positioned? to respond to this world. You know, you have all generations here. It'd probably be cool to go see if there's some seniors that have dropped out of church that could would want to come and join you. That would probably be a cool thing. But yeah, you have all generations here. What would it look like to be community together? Now, here's one thing though, right? Many parents of this church broke away to create SunWest from another church. If you have young people in your midst that just admire you so much that they're doing the same thing somewhere else, can you bless them? Because they're a success. They're following you in a very beautiful way. But there's many young adults that will want to stay at this church youth that will stay at this church and what does it mean to simply connect and so out of active listening it would be cool if out of a month of active listening all generations could participate and say you know what we've got the summer coming but we're going to get ready for the fall with whatever comes out between now and easter believing for resurrection for really cool things that God wants to do in this community because this community has a DNA. It's even in your word. Isn't it Sun West Christian Fellowship? So be a fellowship of the rings with all of these Frodo's here in an evil world that needs ordinary people to do great things. Now, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand again. And James, would you pray for us? Um, after the service, if you'd like prayer for anything, we'll have prayer teams available. Um, I just wanted to point out quickly that uh, my address, if you're a young adult, my address was not in the bulletin. Um, you can get it on the SunWest app or just go to the Welcome Center uh, and they can give you your address if you wanted to join us for lunch. Uh, but James, would you bless us and pray for us? Dear God, You're speaking to every one of, the, of us, including myself, about kenosis, self-emptying. 
And if we've closed ourselves off from you in any way, may you flow in. May we take off the shackles and open ourselves up to you. May you fill everyone. If there's a habit or if there's a thinking pattern or an unforgiveness or a secret, Lord, I just pray you will warmly create connections so that we can be a confessing, forgiving, beautiful colony of heaven right here in Calgary. And as a result, we are a healthy church. We are whole. And then out of that overflow, that intergenerational overflow, that intergenerational spiritual hospitality of listening. May we together with an amazing leadership team, and may we have positive sentiment overrides towards our leaders. Let's give them a chance to lead us to a place of new fruitfulness in the 21st century and in a world where identity formation can be hard labor, may our identity be firmly rooted as beloved children of you. And so bless this campus. May your favor rest on this campus and the Mackenzie campus and all Bible-believing churches in Calgary, all places where your name is lifted. And may we experience a new season first of quiet listening and deep interaction and then together new resurrection at Easter into whatever it is you desire for this body in Jesus name Amen Let's thank James again thanks for joining us James and Claire